Welcome in to this week's episode of It's Utah's Well Tom Hackett, Steve Bartle, with you as always. Welcome into the program. We really appreciate you guys um, for tuning in, coming back each and every week. We understand that, man, these days are, are tricky. Um, yeah. So much Yeah. And we wish we had answers for you. Uh, we're kind of just hanging on like you guys are, going to bed each night, hoping that college football will, will prevail in, in 2020. In the meantime, if you're in need of a new car, I think you guys know. That was, oh. that was quite the segue, Tom. That was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you, man. I just go back to my radio days all of a sudden. <laughs> it's Subaru. Uh, just around the corner from Salt Lake City. Low-pressure car buying experience. And, hey, here's the deal, all right? They've got some offers that they're willing to let you guys in on. Ooh, we love offers. Uh, Subaru, a lot to love event. And it's going on right now. You can get low, low rates on all Subaru models. You can get as low as 0% APR on brand spanking new 2020 Outbacks, Ascents, Foresters, or Legacies. They are asking you guys to come down, enjoy their popcorn, head on over to that soda fridge, or if I like, you know, or, or grab yourself an apple juice like I like to do. And uh, apple juice is key. Ooh, just check out their low pressure car buying experience. And if you don't want to go in, you don't feel safe going in, I understand. They understand. Head on over to utahsubaru.com. They'll tell you more about it. Big, big deal. Steve. Yo. What's happening, man? Oh, man. Another day, another dollar is what they tend to say, and that's kind of what I'm, what I'm feeling today. Hey, I hope people checked out Sportsbeat on Sunday. Ooh, yeah. You, there was a familiar face on there, Tom Hackett, man. And, that guy. and Steve Bartle. Oh, that guy. Jeez, you were featured uh, heavily. At about 11 p.m. Sunday evening, and uh, go check out. Well, I don't know. Oh, go to YouTube. Go to YouTube and check out. There's also there you go. There'll also be story on um, castlesports.com where you can go check that. Hey, out. let's go. Steve was on uh, the golf show. Had a blast, and we talked about also. You know, one of the questions I asked you, which was well, a little rude of me, careless, if you were, said, "Who do you think the next head coach is going to be?" Because look. You know, I don't, really put me on the spot with that one. I know, and you, you stumbled. <laughs> okay. It you was, know, that's kind yeah, of, it was pretty bad. That's kind of what I was wanting you to do, to be frank. Makes for good television, Steve. People enjoy that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, look, Coach Witt's not going to be around forever. He's 60-odd years of age. He may have five more years at Utah in him. He may have longer. You know, who knows? But at some point, look, it happens to all of us. Uh, retirement comes calling. And uh, you got to spend more time with the family. Uh, as as his grandchildren grow older, he's going to want to spend more time with them as well, I'm sure. And so there's going to come a point in, in his career where he says, you know, he walks into the office one day and says, this is it. All said and done. I've done everything I've, I've wanted to. I've accomplished a lot. I've had a blast doing it. But it's now time for me to pursue other um, other avenues in my life. So... Um, you said Morgan Scali, Steve, was going to be the next head coach. And I, I think a lot of people agree with you. I, you know, I, right. So the scandal. Um, 
may hurt him. But I still think he's the favorite to be the next head coach. But I do think there are options out there. Um, you know, and and I've I've started to come a, a, around on that too. You know, I I think I think we all understand the the significance of the investigation with Morgan Scally and and what that means for him and how how damaging you know that really is. At least I hope we we know how how damaging that that is and and, and will be down the road. Like Morgan Scally is going to have to earn you know that job. Like he's he's going to have to do a lot of things um, to to make up for for the damage that you know he's unfortunately done and and so you know I've I've warmed up to the idea you know as you were talking as you were bringing up the subject I started thinking of other coaches from around the country that would be you know good fits at Utah and you know and in five years you know I I know it's it's ways down the road but I'm curious to see you know what coaches. Young coaches, coaches in the group of five, coaches in the FCS t- start to make their rise over the next couple of years and are going to be in in a position to take over a Power Five program. And, you know, that was something that I, I hadn't really thought of. But I, I think, you know, as we move forward, I think it's important to have to, to move forward in this conversation with an open mind that, that Utah should open up a national search and look for, you know, the best fit as, as the next head coach at Utah. I, I think it's it's a conversation that is interesting. I think there are there are certainly coaches that are more than capable to to take over and do a very good job. And I, yeah. I right here in Utah, there are a couple guys that may uh, may be in the run. I think Jake Hill is one of them. He's a splendid, splendid young uh, coach. Mm-hmm. He's done amazing things since he took over that Weber State program now back in uh, 2014, and he's been there six years. That's crazy to think about. Uh, and I, I, I have seen yeah. Manny Sataki, depending on how his next couple of years unfold at BYU, could also be in the running. Um, BYU's a hard, hard job. I mean, and I think, I think deep down, I really do, I think deep down BYU fans understand just how difficult a job that is with, with, with everything that it involves. You know, Coach Whittingham at Utah worries about football, and really football only. There are a few other things that may pop up here and there. Player gets in trouble, gets in trouble with the law, um, Terrell Perriman type situation, you know, ugly yeah. stuff, but uh, you kind of have to figure out. As, when, when, when stuff like that happens, I mean, Coach Whittingham can't do a ton. He indefinitely suspends you, first of all. I'm going to suspend you right off the bat because the whole innocent until proven guilty concept comes into play. The second you're arrested, the second you're put behind bars, the second you've been accused and uh, found guilty of whatever you're in trouble, it's just a you're off the team and Coach Whit moves forward. But once the police, once the feds and the government and and the agencies get involved, um, then Coach Whit only can do so much. But Kalani, my point is Kalani down there, he has a number of different political elements to try and navigate, the church being one of them. Yeah. Independent team, independent head coach. Um, you know, he's got to try and motivate his players to get up every week and to play for the bowl game. And generally, over the last couple of years anyway, and this isn't to put any disrespect to BYU's bowl games, but they haven't been great. You know, they've been playing yeah. Bowl or the Idaho Potato Bowl. And I mean, man, that, that's a hard job, you know, to try and get your players up for the Idaho Potato Bowl, the Hawaii Bowl. They're not all that prestigious. Once you get to six wins, I mean, what are you playing for at that point? I mean, it's, 
And there's a ton of other things that we could spend an entire episode or five on. But right. The Utah job's a much better job. It's a much easier job. It's, you know, you certainly need to win, don't get me wrong, but you're not dealing with certain outside elements. So, um, anyway, that's just a sneak peek as to what went, what went down out there at Ogden Golf and Country Club. We sure do appreciate them. Uh, this episode will dig into a little bit of recruiting news, but it seems to be dying down. Uh, there's still a little bit to talk about, though. Uh, but the main conversation I wanted to have was this idea and, and it's only an idea at the minute because I, I need to believe it. I need to see it to believe it is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When into the 2020 season, the Utah wide receiving core is the offense right now. And it's the strength of the offense. And since my time in Utah and I got here in 2012, there has not been a single season prior to the season kicking off where people have gone, you know what? That wide receiving core, man, that's up there with some of the best in the country. And that, is what's going to allow us to win the Pac-12 for the first time. But that's the case in 2020. That's crazy. That's crazy. You know, with, with you know, what we've become accustomed to at the University of Utah with the strong running game. I mean, you go back through the years. I mean, look at the succession at the starting running back. You got Zach Moss, Joe Williams starting before him, Devontae Booker starting before him. You know, those those three guys all made it to the NFL because – of, of an offense centered around running the, the ball. And so to have a receiving core that is not only the strength of your offense in 2020, and it's not because, you know, running back is lacking talent or, you know, quarterback is lacking talent or the offensive line is, is lacking talent. It's because that receiving core is pretty damn good. You know, you've, you've got four or five guys that are, super productive and then you've got a handful of others that you know have some tremendous potential and and what's crazier is that it's the leading receiver last year was a tight end a position that hasn't been utilized at Utah you know for you know I can't remember the last time you know there's Jake Murphy who played what eight years ago um who uh who put up these types of numbers that Brant Keithy you know, posted last year. And so it's amazing um, what one year, what two, one to two years can, can do uh, for an offense. And, and this receiving core at Utah uh, looks to be really, really good already. And they look to, to be able to take another step forward this season, uh, which is super exciting. I, I agree. And, uh, we can run through a list of names and then and then talk about them individually. Um, and I guess we'll start at the top. I, I think you've got to start with Brian Keithy, Steve. He, yeah. he was the guy that last year seemed to have a really good connection with Tyler Huntley. He's, he's a new age tight end that we're seeing a lot more of at the college level. And that's transitioning into the, the National Football League, the NFL. And, and it's these tight ends that, kind of built more like wide receivers. Uh, they're not the old traditional tight end where uh, they're gigantic and they kind of lumber around and they have really good hands, but by no means are they as agile as a slot receiver or somebody playing on the outside. Uh, but Grant Keithy is unique because he, he isn't the biggest guy, uh, but he does a tremendous, and I mean tremendous job when it comes to just finding pockets of space 
in and amongst opposing defences and, uh, and, and being an option on just about every passing play for the University of Utah, or at least he was last year. Now, what's going to be really, really interesting um, is, is Brian Keithy is going to top the scouting report for any team Utah plays in 2020. You know, when, when, it's an off, when you look at the offense and the scouting report, last year Zach Moss topped that list. And he showed that he was capable, for the most part, at breaking tackles, uh, getting, get finding holes, you know, just being, being Zach Moss, essentially. But Brian Keith, he's, he's going to be tasked with something different this year. He's going to be the number one threat that opposing teams look at and say, if we can stop Brian Keithy, we're going to give ourselves the best option to win this game. How confident are you, Steve, that, that he's going to be able to, to carry on the type of form we saw in 2019 and 2020 with that added pressure? I'm I'm very confident in in Brent Keithy's ability to be you know the guy at the top of the of the scouting report and to be productive because what sets Keithy apart is he's such a unique athlete um, for the position right like you talked about him he's more of a wide receiver than he is a traditional tight end and Utah you know he's right in that um, just the perfect combination of the athleticism that you love to see from receivers, but he's got the size. He's not the the biggest tight end. He's not your prototypical tight end like Cole Fotheringham is at six foot four and 250 pounds, but you know, he's six two, 235 pounds. He can hold his own, you know, as a big guy. And so you've got that size advantage where you can't just put a, a nickel back or a cornerback on him. You're going to have to put a safety or a linebacker on him, and he's going to have the advantage with his athleticism um, to take advantage of some of those um, coverages and opportunities against those guys. Now, obviously, you know, being at the top of a scouting report is going to, you know, there are going to be defenses that are going to try and take him away, you know, from the game plan and to use multiple defenders to take him away. And so that'll be interesting to see how Utah counteracts that. But um, in terms of what he's going to be able to do, Brent Keithy is going to be productive this year because he's too talented. He's too gifted not to. Um, and Utah is going to find a way to manufacture touches for him, whether it be in the passing game or, you know, maybe they continue to utilize him more in the rushing game. So, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, looking forward uh, – Definitely still confident in Keithy's ability to be productive and to be a top-tier tight end in the Pac-12. Well, the good news for Utah, Steve, is that the tight end position, it's not just a one-trick pony. It's its actually yeah. a deep group. Like Cole Fotheringham, he was the tight end entering 2019 that everybody thought was going right. to situate. And, and Brant Keithy ended up being the guy. But, I mean, Cole Fotheringham's just as capable. No, he's not... He's not He's not the same player that, that mm. he is. He's a bit bigger, uh, but he's a, he's, a, he's a talent, and and he offers a ton. And I'd expect to see a lot of two tight end sets from Andy Ludwig uh, offensively in, in 2020. I also think there's, an, there's another player at, at tight end that very few people talk about, um, but the word is he's the most athletic player on the football team. And I'm not just saying that because he's a fellow countryman of mine, but Thomas Yasmin is a big, big boy. He was a rugby standout back home, uh, and he can move. 
uh, and he's quick and he's agile. The problem Thomas Yasmin has had has uh, just been kind of learning, developing himself to uh, to best suit college football. He's had a hard time understanding the plays, from what I've been told, uh, which is an issue uh, because when you when you run a play, the quarterback's relying on you to run the the, the correct route. If you don't run that route, then uh, boy, you you certainly could uh, be at risk of turning the ball over a ton, throwing interceptions. So if he's put his head in the playbook during the, during the COVID-19 hiatus and really studied the plays, then Thomas Yasmin could uh, be this, this sleeper in 2020 that could blow people away. And, and if, he's, if he's capable, and he actually shows a bit, Steve, then, man, they, Freddie Winningham, the tight ends coach, has got plenty of options to play with, which is really exciting. Uh, Britain yeah. is another guy that's probably deserving of a conversation. Uh, I spoke to him, Steve, a couple months ago, and I was asking him about his knee. And he claims that his knee feels better now than it did before he tore his ACL, which is, which is interesting. Uh, because for most people, you know, that isn't the case. Now, I have heard, you know, and there is the old saying where you break a bone, that bone will actually become stronger because of it. And that may well be the case with, with Britton Covey. But, man, if, if Britton Covey can get back to his, you know, freshman year pre-ACL form, then they've got Jalen Dixon and Britton Covey both available at the slot position. And I have no idea. And it's one of the reasons I imagine I'm not a coach. Tend on me, but I have no idea how you defend that. Yeah, no, uh, it's super exciting. And, uh, you know, we only got three days of, of spring practice to watch and to be up there and to see the guys. And of those three days, we really only got to see the offense uh, twice. And so in those two days, we saw a handful of plays with Britton Covey where you saw like that juice, that magic, you know, from his, the early parts of his career. Um, and, and two years ago in 2018, when he returned home from his mission, like you saw the glimpses of that athleticism returning and, man, he, he looked good. Um, and it, it's good to see that. It's good to, to know that his recovery is, is going well. And, and he's feeling even more confident now um, in that knee. And so I, I think, between he and Jalen Dixon, the nice thing about their games is that they kind of complement each other in a little bit of a way where Jalen Dixon is more of a downfield vertical threat and Britton Covey is more of the short area make you miss type of a player. And so it'll be fascinating to see how they divvy up the reps between those two because both are deserving of reps. Um, both can be on the field at the same time if, if you elect to do so. Um, uh, but both are going to be really good and really effective and really add some dynamic dimensions to this offense um, where maybe we didn't get, you know, Britton Covey last year. It offered, it, it offered some, some more opportunity for Jalen Dixon. And you got to see what his presence on the field with his ability to stretch the field uh, really meant to this offense. So uh, to have both of them now on on the roster moving forward, that's going to be a, a fun battle to watch unfold and to see how they utilize those guys um, this season. 
worth noting, and, and this you kind of you talk and remind me of this, in 2018, midway through the season, I was having another conversation with Covey. He told me that he felt that Utah offensively were at their most dangerous when both Dixon and Covey were on the field at the same time. So I talked about how, you know, Ludwig may put out two tight end sets. Well, there may be a number of occasions where both Dixon and Covey are out mm-hmm. on the field at the same time as well. Um, you know, and just – oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Steve, all I was going to say was the list of names we've already talked about is is impressive. But Yeah. And, and just to add some context to it, like uh, I'm, a, I'm a big PFF guy, a pro football focus guy. They do a lot of these grades and that kind of thing that you'll see. You know, if you're on Twitter, you tend to see these more than, than elsewhere. But, you know, Brent Keithy was the top-rated offensive playmaker behind Zach Moss, right? So you lose Zach Moss. It's always tough. But Brent Keithy was the top-graded um, offensive player. And then Jalen Dixon was next up. Uh, and so that just speaks to how effective he was as a receiver last year. Um, and the fact that, you know, he is maybe the third, fourth, or possibly fifth guy, depending on, you know, the next few receivers that, that we talk about here, that, that speaks to just the depth and talent, you know, in, in this receiving room. I think the next player we, we touch on is, is Brian Thompson. Yeah. And, man, he – when healthy, I mean, I, I, I'll go out and say he's the most talented player, even more so than Keithy, you know, when it, just when it comes to pure athleticism. I mean, the kid is a, a freak of nature. He's tall, he's fast, he's agile, he runs you know, pretty crisp routes, he's got good hands. He is honestly uh, as good of a wide receiver as I have ever seen at the University of Utah. The problem, Steve, is that his body, just for whatever reason, yeah. cannot, or is yet to, I should say, be able to handle the rigors that college football uh, puts on on a young man's body. And and so, you know, we saw him last year. He was he was he injured his knee. Uh, it wasn't an ACL, which was good, but bad enough in Oregon. He injured at Oregon State the bad mm-hmm. of the year, if I'm not mistaken, maybe towards the back end. And, um, and he, he didn't take any further part in, in the season. He got a few reps, you know, five or less reps against Texas, but um, wasn't able to really have an impact there. I mean, he, he is, and he was on track before hurting his knee to have, you know, one, one of the better seasons a Utah wide receiver has had in a significant, significant time. Do, do you think his body holds up? Do you think this is the year his body finally says, I'm going to look after you, Brian? Let's get after it this year? That's the million-dollar question, right? And I think I was talking – I remember an interview I did with Coach Holiday, and he kind of explained it like, you know, Brian Thompson – uh, is is that that peak racehorse where he, he's in such great condition has a lot of great traits but the thing is you got to keep him healthy and and if one thing goes wrong it really kind of throws off the rest of his game and that's kind of been the issue with with Brian Thompson as as you mentioned there Tom is that he's just he's unfortunately been been dealing with nagging injuries throughout his career um, he did get nicked up in the Oregon State game but 
he came back and played, but he just wasn't as effective as he was through, you know, the Oregon, the Arizona State, Cal, Washington, and UCLA games. He wasn't wasn't as effective as he was, and then he he obviously got hurt um, in the Arizona game, and and that's what what essentially shut him down the rest of the season, which was unfortunate. But through those first five games, you know, he had two one hundred yard receiving games against obviously once against Idaho state. And then the other was Washington state, but you saw that, that potential, that ability to be that threat at every level of the field, to get vertical, to run crisp routes, you know, in short, in the short and intermediate areas of the field, to be that true number one pass catching option because of his size and his athleticism. Um, you saw the potential. And so, you know, if you're you're looking forward to the season, I think you hope, your biggest hope for this offense is that Brian Thompson is able to make it through the season unscathed and, and, un, and maintain his health. Because if he is, he's going to be productive and he's going to be really, really uh, productive and effective in this offense. And I think this offense suits him really well because it's not – uh, volume, but it's about uh, taking advantage of the opportunities that the run game presents, and and he's going to be able to capitalize on some of those downfield opportunities um, that that come with this offense. So, I, man, I you just hope to see him remain healthy because he is that good. He can be that true number one receiver that a lot of you know fans, media people have talked about that Utah has lacked um, over the last little while. Look, I, I played with some pretty special wide receivers. Yeah, you did. My time, there have been a number of guys that have come through that have been pretty impressive themselves. And, and Brian Thompson is, you know, he is as skilled and as good as as anybody that I've seen. Drez Anderson was impressive. Kay Scott made play after play. But Brian Thompson, there's something about him where you just look at him, you watch him play, and you think, you know, when he's healthy, I mean, he's the type of wide receiver that will play on Sundays, but his body has just let him down time after time. Now, under under Thompson, there are, there's a long list of wide receivers, Steve, that have all the potential in the world, don't get me wrong, but they, they just have a, they've had a hard time finding the football. You know, I, I'm talking about the likes of uh, the two in particular, Samson Nakua and Solomon Enos. Uh, and these are two kids that were pretty highly recruited coming out of high school. Uh, Solomon Enos, for example, was, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, the number one wide receiver in the state of Arizona. He was a true four-star kid. His old, his old man played at Penn State. He had a Penn State offer. I mean, he had, he had some options, I think. He had a Penn State offer. Don't quote me on yep, that. Yep, 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 yep. Um, he just – he ha- and same with Samson Nakua. Like, Samson Nakua, I remember, he caught, uh, he caught his first pass in 2019 against USC, and that came in week four. He went through the entire – maybe he had one catch against BYU, uh, but he, he, he didn't have many, if any, for that matter. It just took him so long to get going. And even when he kind of started to get the ball moving, the ball never picked up much much speed. Um, Solomon Enos, you remember against BYU, there was, it was third and 11. It was before the rain tumbled down and Utah needed to make a play. 
and they went to Solomon Ennis, who ran a 10, 11-yard comeback route, or it must have been a 13, 14-yard comeback route because it's third and 11. Mm -hmm. And the defense was good. He was on his back, and he just went up, and he plucked the ball with two hands, and it just stuck. And I remember watching that going, good grief. Right. That is a big boy play. Um, But we haven't seen enough of it. I mean, and it's like, it's those guys, in my opinion, you know, we can talk about the Britton Coveys, the Brant Keefies, the Brian Thompsons, the Jalen Dixons, all we want. Generally speaking, we know what we're going to get from those guys. But right. Solomon Enos, Samson Nakua, and a few other cats on uh, at the wide receiving position, if they can step up and make not just one big play a season, but let's say five to ten big play. I mean, that's when Utah goes from competing in the Pac-12 South and potentially making the Pac-12 championship game and potentially being crowned the Pac-12 champions for the first time in the Pac-12 era, in their Pac-12 era, to they are, they are now a perennial favorite and a perennial powerhouse to win the conference every single year. And I, I don't have the answer. Uh, but it looks like, it looks like at least, Solomon Enos in particular, there was a photo that was put up on Twitter, it looks like old Solomon Enos has gone home <laughs> Put on some been, been lifted some weights. Yeah. Been, been doing some curls for the girls, you know. That's that's what we used to say in, in high school at least. But um you know it's it's interesting. Like I look at Solomon Enos and I think he is the biggest wild card of this of this receiving group. And I think, you know, you mentioned his his recruitment. Uh you mentioned, you know, some of the offers he had at Penn State. It basically came down to um uh, to Utah, Penn State, ASU, and USC were essentially his top four coming down to his decision. And um, that just kind of speaks to the type of receiver that Solomon Enos, the type of, of talent uh, this, this kid was coming out of, out of high school. And, and I think people need to understand uh, is that talent and being a good receiver, two different types of dis- – types of discussions here. I think Solomon Enos was very raw in terms of just his um, understanding of the receiver position coming out of high school. He was kind of a, a do-it-all type of a, an athlete for his high school squad. I mean, he took snaps, you know, a quarterback as like a, a wildcat type of a quarterback. He uh, had a lot of rushing attempts similar to, to how Brent Keithy uh, would get the ball and and Derek Vickers last year would get the ball. So he was kind of used in a, in a unique way and not just your prototypical type of receiver. And I think he's had to go from that unique athlete in an offense in high school to learning how to be a prototypical receiver at Utah. And, and that takes time. That takes coaching. That takes, um, you know, a lot of just effort uh, in practice and, and consistency in terms of your technique, your route running. And I think that's kind of, um, what has held him back from being like the instant impact type of four-star receiver that, that many um, think of when you talk four-star you know, talent. But I think Solomon Enos is coming into this season with the mindset that, you know, this is it. This is my opportunity to shine. He's come to Utah with the right mindset overall in terms of being a team first type of a player. And I think that's um, benefited him tremendously not only just 
within the receiving room and in the offense, but, you know, just in the program in general to, to buy in team first, he's always been, you know, productive on special teams and was willing to do that type of dirty work. And, you know, now you see it in just his, his work ethic and, and the, the progress he's made on his body. Like he's coming into this prepared and, and ready to take that next step as a receiver. And so I think the biggest thing um, for Enos is just to be consistently, to play at a consistently high level in practice, in games, play to play, that type of thing, because we've seen it throughout. Like you mentioned the glimpses, you mentioned the catch against BYU. He's had a number of those types of catches where you're just like, wow, like just unbelievable type catches. And, and that showcases his talent level. Um, and so now you just want to see him put it all together. And I think if he's able to do that, which I believe that he will be able to do that and really kind of take a step forward, that's really going to boost this, this Utah receiving core, you know, and, and validate, you know, where, where a lot of national media consider it one of the top receiving groups, you know, in the country. I think Solomon Enos is key to that. You know, as long as he makes progress, I think that kind of validates uh, what many people are saying about this group. I'll echo and, and essentially repeat what I said at the top of this conversation. I am as excited as I've ever been yeah. to watch the Utah football program turn into the Oregon Ducks this year. Um, yes. Slinging it around. Uh, but I, 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 just, I, I just need to see it first. Right. Before I can really, really believe it. I want to, with every... With every fiber of my body, I want to believe that the wide receiving group is as good as it has been advertised prior to the season starting. And I know we touched on a couple of weeks ago how uh, Pro Football Focus and one of the one of those uh, groups on on Twitter had Utah ranked as the top, uh, the fourteenth pick best. six. Pick, pick six, six previews, previews had them fourteenth in the entire country when it comes to yeah. receiving uh, groups. So. Um, look, there's there's a lot of pressure on the shoulders of Coach Holiday and uh, his company, and mm-hmm. and it's going to be fun. It's going to be really fun to watch. There are obviously you know a number of other offensive pieces that need to contribute, and that's the running back uh, core. I'll say core because there isn't one individual. I think I think we both agree. Jordan Brumfield and uh, uh, Devin Brumfield is what I mean. Devin Brumfield, Wilmore. Yeah. I got to yeah. use for a second. Uh, they're gonna man, if you could get if you could get a Jordan Jordan Brumfield or a Devin Brum or Devin Wilmore, I mean, that's that's a pretty talented running back. That is, that's up there with the likes <laughs> of Zach Moss. But uh, I think we're gonna <laughs> kind of a one-two combo there. Um, and, and I have a lot of faith that they're going to be very, very good. Yeah, and of course, the quarterback position, the most important position in football. Um, we can throw Drew Lisk's name in the in the ring, but mm. I honestly believe it's a battle between Jake Bentley and Cam rising, uh, and I think they're really capable. Uh, but at the same time, you know, they have to prove their worth in a Utah uniform. Cam rising right. hasn't played many snaps, if any snaps, transferring from Texas. And, uh, and our good friend Jake Bentley, of course, transferring from South Carolina, where, don't get me wrong, he started, he had success, he was a team captain, he was a leader, he threw for over 500 yards against Clemson back in the day, um, 
but you know, there are, there are, there are obviously other pieces of the puzzle that need right. to gather and gel for the wide receiving core to have the type of year that many expect them to do. Nonetheless, it's exciting. It's different. It's unique. And I think Utah fans hopefully uh, can share similar emotions to what I are talking about. Um, yeah. Bef- so before we, we move on from the receivers, just want to make the point, like this season is going to be really, really interesting too, because I think, it's going to it's going to require programs to to rotate more than they typically would, and, and maybe not so much you know in games play to play type of a type of a deal. But I think you're going to have to be really mindful of of players and utilize a lot of the younger players that maybe you typically wouldn't in a normal season. And so, you know, you got to look at players like. Devon Vailey, who is a walk-on, but he was kind of the talk of the town last fall. Um, and, you know, he's he returns now. He had a redshirt season. I think you look at him and then the two freshmen that they're bringing in with Connor O'Toole and Money Parks. Money Parks has been, you know, that was my, that was my guy last year. I, I love watching his film. I think he's going to bring uh, a unique dynamic um, with his athleticism his wingspan, his hand size, like this kid is coming to Utah and he's, he's a, I think he's going to be a special receiver, but you add those two in there, Connor O'Toole, who was a four star. He was recruited by a lot of the programs that typically do well with receiver evaluations. So you, you beat out those programs for Connor O'Toole. You bring in money parks who had Oklahoma uh, reaching out to him and other programs like that. And, and I think, uh, they add a lot of talent to the room, and so I'm interested to see how Utah, you know, utilizes those guys, those guys as well. Money Parks, Connor O'Toole, and Devon Bailey. I think they're going to be key. But I think uh, I just wanted to make that last point because you know, obviously, I'm the recruiting guy at Ute Zone. I gotta you know make sure we mention you know the the young guys coming into the program um, and the talent that they're bringing in because um, it's it's pretty impressive. But anyways, we can move on, Tom. Sorry, sorry. Well, no, don't, no need to, never apologize, <laughs> My word. Hey, you bring up, uh, you're the recruiting guy, and so it only yeah. be fitting for you to uh, inform our listeners uh, kind of the, the, the happenings in the recruiting world, if there are any at all. You were, you were talking before we clicked record on this thing that, that Utah seems to be pretty content with the recruiting class they currently have. They're not making too many moves on other prospects. Well, so I think what they're doing right now, so they have a pretty good idea of where things stand um, with with the majority of, of the guys that they are recruiting. Um, so you've already got, you know, seven commits in the class. You've got a couple missionaries that are going to be coming into, that are going to be returning, you know, over the next year or so. Uh, you already had one who was expected to return next year. Uh, he's already came home and he's already enrolled in junior Tafuna. That's going to require, you know, space in the class. So um, despite the, just having seven commits, I think Utah has um, the class is going to be a little bit tighter where you typically have 25 spots. I think Utah is going to have about 20 spots to work with. So they're, they're, doing their due diligence with a lot of the kids that maybe aren't committed, but could be close to committing um, to Utah. You know, a guy like Logan Fano out of Tempe View, um, a guy like Michael Mokofisi out of Woods Cross, um, Jeffrey Boss out of Kearns, a lot of the local guys that you've spent a lot of time recruiting. I think that's kind of where um, 
the focus is being made in this recruiting class right now. And then also with your top targets, talking about, you know, Ethan Calvert, a linebacker, four-star linebacker out of Southern California who's down to Washington, USC, UCLA, and Utah. And Utah is right there uh, in, the, in the thick of things with it. It's not just that they're there for, for you know, for kicks and giggles, but they're, they're making a strong push for them. Uh, and so you've got Ethan Calvert, and then you've got some of these other really talented prospects. Sierra Wright, who's a, uh, a four-star cornerback, um, you know, obviously cornerback isn't a, as big a need as it was last year where you had to replace the entire secondary. But when you can recruit a kid like Sierra Wright, who's, you know, a top talent, a track guy, 10-5, 10-6, 100-meter time, like that's pretty good. So, you know, I think Utah, what they're doing right now is just kind of getting a feel for where they stand with a lot of their top guys um, and then just going all in on them and, and recruiting them hard. And, you know, we may see some commitments. We, we may not, but I think they're just starting to narrow down their focus on who they're recruiting um, and, and are really going to go hard after a lot of these guys. Well, back-to-back Pac-12 championship game appearances will likely do that to any yeah. program on the recruiting trail. And it seems like Utah has done a really nice job of uh, taking advantage of the success that they've had. That's kind of the name of the game in college football. The more success you have, generally speaking, that'll translate to uh, more success on the recruiting trail. And so uh, kudos and congratulations to the coaching staff at Utah for, uh, I guess, burrowing down and, and figuring out a way to, to make that all happen. Hey, um, Nate Wade Subaru is the, the sponsor of this show. We love and appreciate them. I, I have dates. I know I teased last week that we're going to do some Ooh. remotes down there at Nate Wade Subaru. The, the address, before I give you guys some dates, is 1207 South Main Street. It's just five minutes from downtown Salt Lake City. It's off Main Street. Um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful dealership that, that they own down there. Uh, we will be there, Steve, and to all our listeners. On Thursday, August 20th, uh, again, another Thursday, September 17th, and finally on October 15th, Thursday, we will be down there. Nice. From 3 to 5 p.m. at Nate Wade Subaru. So that's August 20th, September 17th, and October 15th at our really good friends, Nate Wade Subaru, 1207 South Main Street in Salt Lake City. Uh, my good friend, Steve, I uh, greatly appreciate you. Thank you for hopping on. Happy Pioneer Day to you. Yes. And to all of our listeners, thanks for coming back for another week. We hope we fulfilled your Utah football needs and we will continue to wear our masks and to cross our fingers that there will be a college football season this upcoming fall. Do you have anything fun planned for the weekend, Steve? Um, golf is that fun? like that's fun, right? That's to me. That's, that's literally. About... I was just gonna yeah, because you're you're dealing with some golfers right now, right? Like you're dealing with with some some oh. some things in your backyard, man. How's that going, dude? I uh oh, dude, don't even get me started. Okay, I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, and you're you you've got a new podcast going, right, Tom? I do. It's called Dadtastic. So if you guys are interested in, in listening to that as well, I'd love for you guys to go check out 
Dadtastic, wherever you find your podcast. Myself and Casey Scott share some laughs, keep you guys entertained. But um, I have gophers, dude. I got like, so I had, quickly, I had like one mound pop up about four months ago, five months ago. And I was like, boy, that's strange. Like, is the dog digging all of a sudden? Like just in the yard? I'm like, that's weird. Normally she digs kind of in the dirt or by a fence, you know, whatever. And uh, over the months, you know, now, five months later, I must have, and I am not exaggerating, I must have 15 to 20 mounds of dirt across That's crazy. backyard. And it, it's, it's horrible. And, and I don't want to kill them. You know, I want to go out there on the record. Right. And do not want to kill the gophers. My wife does not want to kill the gophers. But let me tell you, it's getting to a point where something needs to happen. And I don't want to kill them, but I need them to go next door. Okay, I need him to yeah, say something. Go away. Bother somebody else because enough's enough. Um, so I'll, anyway, yeah. Dang. I'm, I'm sorry I brought it on up, Tom. I, you know, I could tell you're pretty worked up about it, man. I apologize. I, I just don't know what to do, Steve. So if any of our listeners yeah. have, have um, solutions, please, please hit me up on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, my handle's at Tom Can't Hack It. Hit Steve up while you're at it. He's at sbartle247. And don't forget to check out utezone.com. It's the premier website for Utah football inside knowledge and information. Steve's on there. You can chat to Steve there. And, of course, kslsports.com. This is a podcast brought to you by Nateway Subaru, but it's on the KSL Sports Network. So with that, Steve, we say so long, boy. Goodbye. Enjoy your pioneer. Goodbye. Uh, please, please be responsible with fireworks. Uh, and if you're going to indulge in some adult beverages, have a safe way to get home. Yes. Fatality's on the road. It's one of those weekends. So uh, with that said, Steve, thanks again as always. We will be well wishes, man. week with another episode of It's Utah as well. Goodbye. Thank <laughs> you.